This is No Hate Radio. I'm no stranger to the rain. Oh, no. I'm no stranger to the rain. We're on No Hate Radio, and what we want to do today is explain uh, why we're here, why you want to why anyone would want to listen to us and what it is we have to say. Uh, What we hope to do is create a space where people can think independently. They can hear information that is not uh, necessarily scripted by anyone, but that addresses uh, today's issues in context of uh, not only spirituality, but in terms of people's relationships with one another. We want to address some subjects that are certainly controversial, and we want to address them in a, in a detailed way, in a way that allows any listener to consider the points being made and reach uh, your own conclusion with regard to uh, the merits of any particular position. No Hate Radio is just that. We are not out to uh, scoriate anybody. We're not out to uh, cause harm or damage uh, to anyone. Uh, We are out to help other people understand and to help ourselves understand why things occur the way they do and how we might uh, be an influence to change it if we think that, uh, that what is going on needs changing. We, uh, we hope to have speakers that are interesting, speakers that have background, factual knowledge, have a feeling, have a passion for what they're talking about, and know of what they speak. Uh, and hopefully we can generate some interesting conversations in that regard. Let me introduce myself. I'm rather an unlikely candidate, to be honest, to be in this particular podcast doing this particular thing. My name is Don Wendell. I was born and raised, and I'm a seventh-generation Texan. I uh, participated all my life, all my working life, in uh, politics and government. I'm, uh, I'm a retired state court judge. I was uh, uh, both a serving elected judge and a senior judge on the uh, assignment status for a total of about 28 years. I'm uh, a lawyer of uh, 50 years duration since 1973. Uh, Graduated Texas Tech Law School in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, Spent all my life uh, in Texas and being a part of, uh, of the political scene and the legal scene and other places uh, in the state of Texas uh, over many years. Did uh, a tour as uh, on the staff of a governor in Texas and and several other other activities in that regard. I moved down here, I moved to Florida. This, as you've heard, is a production in St. Petersburg, Florida. Spent uh, part-time down here after my retirement from the full-time judiciary and then ultimately moved here uh, because of my wife's family being here and uh, because it, it seemed to be the, uh, uh, the kind of place that uh, 
we could fit in our lives, make our lives uh, fit with what was happening here, and maybe uh, contribute to uh, uh, various causes and things that we do. That's really kind of the the only story about me that's very relevant other than during a long period of time, I was a uh, active member of the Texas Republican Party. And um, I participated at state level ex- uh, extensively in uh, Texas politics as it became, went from a state of Southern Democrats to a state of Republicans. And, uh, and in that transition, I became a part of that political system. Uh, at a certain point in my life, I uh, kind of had an awareness that uh, my particular passions, my particular uh, ideas, my philosophy, my belief systems uh, probably were not aligning well with where uh, the Republican Party and and the leaders of that party were were uh, trending, were going, and for that reason, I uh, I have changed my uh, political alliances, and uh, now participate uh, in what I tend what I like to call the progressive movement. I think what some people call, with a certain amount of satire, the liberal political movement. No Hate Radio it has a theme song, and that theme song is entitled No Stranger to the Rain. We have a version of that song by our uh, our very own Dylan, uh, who is going to uh, do that song for us as we begin the first of our episodes, which we hope to extend into the future. I'm no stranger to the rain. I'm a friend of thunder Friend is it any wonder Lightning strikes me I fought with the devil Got down on his level But I never gave in So he gave up on me I'm no stranger to the rain I'm a friend of thunder Is it any wonder lightning strikes me? Oh, I'll put this cloud behind me. That's how the man designed me. To ride the wind and dance in a hurricane. I'm no stranger to the rain. Oh, no. I'm no stranger to the rain. And I absolutely love that song and those lyrics and the way that Dylan did it for us, and that's outstanding because that's the that's the theme song of No Hate Radio. Because don't we all don't don't we all have a little rain? So it's a song about life. It's a song about living it. It's a song about trying to be uh, trying to be who we are uh, in the middle of a world that generally doesn't always favor who we are, doesn't always treat us like we have the right to be who we are. So 
the song actually was written many, many years ago by a member of a rock and roll band, the Buddy Holly Band, a uh, long time ago, and uh, then re-recorded uh, much, much later uh, by an artist named Keith Whitley. And the artist was a really up-and-coming country music artist, uh, winning all, all kinds of uh, uh, kudos in Nashville and, and doing great country music, but he had his devil. His devil was alcohol. And when he did this song, when he actually recorded this song, it was, he was interviewed about it on country music radio station. He said that it wasn't biographical. By that, he didn't write it. But he said, I could have. I certainly could have because it's uh, the story of my life. The unfortunate outcome there is that uh, in, in Keith Whitley's case, he lost that battle to alcoholism as a very, very young man. Nonetheless, uh, he fought it all the way. And I think we need to keep in mind that uh, if we keep our eye on a sparrow, if we know where we're going, if we know wh how we want to get there, we know how we want to uh, end up in this game of life or this journey of life, we know what's important to us, uh, then we're going to keep uh, uh, begging and stealing and borrowing a little sunshine, as he said. But that's the reason that No Stranger to the Rain is the theme of the No Hate Radio podcast uh, that we're doing is because it's all of our stories rolled up into one. The No Hate Radio podcast idea surrounds describing life from a context of spirituality, love, compassion, kindness, and trying to be who we are, but more importantly, let everybody else be who they are and be a part of, of the experience, the human experience. And I want I hope, we, I will consider it a great success if we influence the lives of any people as a result of making the effort to go on the air with No Hate Radio. As we go on uh, the platform to try and broadcast, try and get a broader view, try and get a broader audience than you can in a room or, or in a personal meeting or on a phone conversation, to talk about how do we address the issues of life, and more importantly, my big question, the one you're gonna hear me repeat a lot, please don't get too bored, why? Why, why, why? Why do we do some of the things we do? Why do we not do other things that we ought to do? And that's gonna bring me to woke at 7,000 feet. You have to ride with me. <laughs> on an airplane that I was flying. Some of you that know me know that I like to fly. I like to fly airplanes. That's the thing I've loved doing for a long time. And I want you to ride with me on a particular flight. I want you to be there in the cockpit of this airplane while this thing happens. And then I want to talk about it. This is a routine flight. This is a flight that came from 
Some of you may even know where I'm talking about. From Denton, Texas, uh, to Wiley Post Airport in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Then it was a turnaround flight, and the turnaround flight was flying out of Wiley Post Airport straight back to Denton, Texas. Not a long flight, not a commercial flight, not a revenue flight, just a flight. It was routine in that I had done flights like that over and over again, a lot of times. Um, I flew up from Denton to Wiley Post Airport in Oklahoma City, following in trail with another airplane, belonged to a friend of mine. He was getting it painted. It's, this is how routine this all was. And while he went in, made arrangements about his airplane, put it in with the paint shop, he crawls back in the airplane with me and we start to take off. Any time you fly these airplanes, particularly if you fly on what's called an IFR flight plan, you're going to do a lot of talking on the radio. So you're going to you're going to taxi out at a controlled airport, and you're going to talk to Wiley Post Ground Control, and you're going to talk to Wiley Post Tower, and then you're going to talk to, in this case, Oklahoma City Departure. Uh, you leave Oak City Departure, they're going to hand you off to what's called Fort Worth Center. And they're going to show you and tell you where to go, what to do, uh, where they want you. So all that happened kind of as follows. Wiley Post Tower, November 2, Victor Charlie, holding short runway 18, ready for takeoff with the numbers. Wiley Post, November 2, Victor Charlie, cleared for takeoff. Maintain runway heading, climb to 2000. Contact Oak City Departure on 127. Now, we're taking off. As I come off from Wiley Post Airport, I'm going to say, Oak City Departure, November 2, Victor Charlie, with you at 2000. Oak City's going to come back and say, November 2, Victor Charlie, climb to 7,000, heading 170. We're climbing out of 2 to 7, uh, heading 170 to Victor Charlie. After having done that normal, routine, ordinary process of, of taxiing, clearing, taking off on an instrument flight from Oklahoma City to Oklahoma to Denton, Texas, I'm at 7,000 feet on a heading 170. In case you don't do math like I do, <laughs> that's pretty much south. I'm going south out of Oklahoma City, going to Denton, Texas. I had been focused exclusively on the instruments because that's what you do. I look out the window. It was a beautiful, absolutely stunningly beautiful night. There wasn't a cloud for hundreds of miles. There was virtually no wind blowing. You could see forever. In fact, I remember having the distinct impression that I could see for 200 miles. I know that's not true, but I felt like I could see for 200 miles. It was a stunningly beautiful night. It was full moon. It was, uh, I could see uh, runway, air airport rotating beacons, way, way out, probably all the way to Texas line. And two Victor Charlie's a twin engine airplane, so you sync those engines up and they start humming mm, like that. And you know you got it right. And you level it out and set the throttles and you know you got it right. And the air is so smooth. So the next thing that happens 
Oak City departure, November 2, Victor Charlie, altitude 7000, heading 170, cleared direct to Denton, Texas. Wow. Now, those of you that don't know what that means, to a pilot flying on a night IFR plane, that's like, I must be the only one up here. Because usually it's cleared to a certain uh, point where they're going to change your heading again, or it's cleared to a location uh, on your uh, navigation instruments. But this night, and that's 150 miles of just go there, just go there. So now we're up there on this beautiful night, wonderful night. And I'm looking, because it is not overcast or anything, I'm not having to focus so much on the instruments. I'm looking out the window. And it was almost like, almost like God was out there, if, if you can relate to a thing like that. And my friend sitting next to me, he's kind of half dozing off. And... Uh, I said, Steve, look at that. Look at that. Is that not magnificent looking out there? He made a comment, which I know he never knew the, what that comment led to for me because it was just a casual comment. He said, yeah, it's a beautiful night. He said, isn't it a shame that everybody can't do this? And I started a process of thinking right then because I'm just flying straight to Denton. I got everything locked in place. And I start thinking and realizing not very many people get to see this. Not very many people get to experience this. Yeah, why is it that everybody can't do this? And if everybody doesn't care about flying airplanes, that's not my point. Let's don't get in the weeds about that. It's why is it that people, that everyone from backgrounds, different belief systems, different races, different socioeconomic levels, why is it that in our country, supposedly founded on equal justice, supposedly founded on the premise uh, that all men, now it should be saying all persons are created equal, why is it we've fallen so short of that? Why is it we've never achieved that? Why is it we have institutionalized systems that prevent that? And I begin to think about, and I begin to focus on, probably for the first time in my life, begin to be aware. Does that sound like woke? I begin to be aware of something that I had not been aware of before. And that something was... Eventually, I came to understand it to be white privilege. I was getting something that most people were not getting. I'm probably doing 120 knots. I don't know how, how far I got uh, on that heading to Denton, Texas, but I probably, probably burned up some sky while I was thinking about that. And... It's a thought pattern and a process that I want you to understand never left me. It never, ever left me. 
it began to be, I began to be the guy asking why about everything, much to the annoyance of some of my other uh, friends and neighbors, all of whom were persons of pretty much white privilege. And I spent a long time re-looking, looking differently, examining things, coming from a different perspective. And the start date of it was back there on this routine trip from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma to Denton, Texas, on a night when a friend of mine innocently said, it's a shame, isn't it, that everybody doesn't get to do this. Because I don't think this whole idea of woke is an overnight proposition. I don't believe that. For most people, it happens like it happened to me. First, I'm doing something I immensely enjoy. I, I'm doing something that's expensive to do, right? I'm doing something that very few people get a chance to do, whether it's airplanes or boats or motorcycles or travel around the world or gambling in Las Vegas, whatever it is, whatever it is, you find yourself recognizing your privilege. And then most people stop right there. It's my contention that most people stop right there and go, wow, aren't I lucky? Isn't this great? I need to go get more. <laughs> I need to, I need to be uh, richer. Instead of a home, I need a home and a vacation house. And if that's not enough, I need a vacation house in a different place. And I need this and I need that. And they fail to move to that next point, which is, why? Why am I here? And why are so many people not there? Why do so many people not get that choice, that opportunity? My wife described, my wife Bobby, she was describing the other day in a conversation, someone said, as they often do, well, what about this woke? And they say it with kind of a disdain, you know, when they say it. If you're in Florida, we're living in a state where our governor specifically says we live in a state where woke comes to die. And it, what about this woke? What does that mean? What does that even mean? And what Bobby said, and I was listening to her, and I went, you go, girl. Because she said, do you know what woke means? You got a person to admit, no, I really don't know what woke means. She said, well, what it means is awareness and kindness and compassion and love and, and equal truth, equal justice and and the things that we all ought to stand for is what woke really means. Why is it that this is such a controversial term? Why can't an objective voice come in and say, woke is a good thing because woke causes us to recognize Jim Crow and Jim Crow 2.0? It causes us to recognize the evils of lynching and, and uh, slavery. Eventually, I came to understand the term white privilege. Eventually. I began to know that I was a person who had it. I began to know that a lot of people haven't abused it. I began to know 
that, frankly, in a, as a social structure, it wasn't even necessary, but nonetheless, it exists. So my next question, and I told you we're going to start this out with why and what do I do with it. The next question was, okay, let's acknowledge that. Let's don't deny it. Let's don't say that this all this unfair social structure didn't happen. Let's, let's don't say that Jim Crow wasn't real. Let's don't say that all these statues didn't get built to intimidate black people. Let's say that Stonewall never... Let's, let's don't deny all that. Let's don't be idiots. Let's don't deny all that. It happened. It happened. So the question is, okay, those of us with white privilege, you got it, super pilot. What are you going to do with it? See, I thought that I was kind of a, uh, or my friends all thought, that I was a little left wing in the Republican Party. But I didn't have this understanding of real human interaction and the necessity for love and compassion and kindness to drive your conduct. But you don't develop the, you don't become woke until you truly work at it. Here's an example. Of, of something that I think about now. I'm a seventh generation Texan. That's not just a minute, you guys. <laughs> That's a long time. My direct family dates back to before the Alamo, uh, to the days of Stephen F. Austin. And so I had this great uh, generational pride in, in everything that had happened. And it was only after I started wondering why. It was only after I came to that, okay, I've got white privilege, what am I gonna do with it? It was only as that developed that I began to look back on the generational pride that I had and realize that my great Lone Star State had been, and sadly still is, the home base for some incredible oppression and mean-spirited conduct and uh, racial prejudice and strife. I had to recognize that members of my family for whom I've had great respect and I had to rethink what was it they said and did and then go, oh my God, was that racism? And then I had to say, yep, <laughs> yep, it was. Was the system racist in a place where during the Jim Crow era there were lynchings not not 150 years ago folks but in the 1920s and 30s where towns would have 
signs on their city limit signs warning black people don't be in this town after dark and nobody took them down nobody took them down when a dallas police officer dallas cop referred to a murder where one black man killed another black man in South Dallas as a misdemeanor murder. I had to put new perspectives on just exactly who are we. Let's be honest, y'all. America is a racist, violent country. <laughs> And, and if you want to challenge me on that, go ahead. I, I wish we had callers to call in on the phone and say that's not true, because it is true. We have a violent, very violent, racist past. Now, we have written in America some brilliant documents about truth and justice and equality we have built a constitution that if it were followed, might get us there. We have a Declaration of Independence that if it had been really believed <laughs> in the context that I think it should have been believed by the, by the folks who wrote it, then maybe it wouldn't be so bad. But let's be honest. You know, I'm a patriotic American. I'm not against America on anything, but I think we got to realize when we go around prancing that we got the high ground. Not true. Now, we do things better than a lot of countries. Believe me, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle or downgrade that we have these goals. I just want us to acknowledge we don't achieve them. That's all. I just want us to tell the truth. You know, and, and just say, okay, this is what we want to be, but this is not who we are. And, and, and uh, the fact that we want to be, that's a good thing. So let's work with that. Let's, let's go there. Let's say, okay, then what are we going to do about it? Have I said that once before? Is there an echo in here? Because why and what are you going to do with it or what are you going to do about it? are the questions of the day. In my quest to understand why, I read Dr. King's letters from Birmingham jail. And I didn't read them once. I read them like five times. And I said, this man is a prophet. This man is unbelievable. This man is incredible. I came from the viewpoint of, uh, I'm going to call it obtuse understanding of humanity to the point I'm at now, which is, if you can't be free, I can't be free. If, uh, if there's a trans kid somewhere in Florida who can't be free, I can't be free. Freedom has to do not with what I hear said on the 
media by our governor and others who want to it's not we have created a whole series of laws designed to obstruct the advancement of civilization by everybody but us uh, and we're going to call it freedom and we're going to object to people's trying to protect other people from uh, deadly diseases like covid because because we're going to be quote free that's not freedom that's not even legitimate resistance my opinion you got to be free before i can be free and if we will understand it in that context, that takes a lot of work. And the reason it takes a lot of work is I have to know you. I have to understand you. But if I know what your struggles are and I don't do anything about it, I don't say anything about it, I don't even protest or object then you're not free and guess what I'm not either we finished the first part of this uh, this installment and uh, kind of introduced ourselves and more or less given an idea of what we plan to do with this podcast and now in the second half or the second portion of the uh first installment, uh, we're going to have a further discussion about the concept of uh, woke and what does it mean and what is it? Why is it controversial? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, do we want, to, as our governor tends to say, do we want woke to Florida to be where woke goes to die? Uh, we've covered uh, my personal experience, and I have now uh, Reverend Andy Oliver, uh, Allendale United Methodist Church, who is going to join in and give his perspective on this uh, subject of woke. Andy? Yeah, Don, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this and having this important conversation. What I'd like to kind of hear from you or get an idea from you about is uh, I know that you heard uh, what I had to say about the the subject or the concept or the, the word anyway, woke, the, uh, the social implications of the word woke. Uh, you've spent a number of years uh, that I'm personally uh, familiar with in trying to advocate for social justice, for marginalized people, for members of the community that are not necessarily uh, included in those of us who have some sort of privilege. Uh, could you kind of elaborate for us on your ideas about the term woke, where it comes from, what it means to you, and how you apply it to uh, your ministry at Allendale United Methodist Church? Yeah, I, I think it's grounded uh, back to Martin Luther King Jr.'s words that I can't be who I'm supposed to be until you are who you're supposed to be, that we're part of a a single garment, um, one destiny together. And, um, you know, the word woke uh, uh, simply means uh, having a, uh, an honest look at our past, at our present, where we're headed in the future, uh, to look at the systemic harms uh, that are still being carried out, uh, especially around 
racial inequity and the commitment to do something about it. I go back to Dr. King's call for beloved community in the church and his, his condemnation of the church, specifically white churches, uh, even progressive white churches and moderate white churches, uh, that too often fall back into their comfort zone. He said they're more like a thermometer taking the temperature and deciding when it's safe to speak out more like a thermometer than they are a thermostat. He said churches, clergy should be thermostats. They should be setting the temperature. Uh, they should be prophetic in, in, in speaking out uh, against the harm that's being done. And so uh, that's how I try to live out my ministry as we see people who are being dehumanized, marginalized, um, that it's, it's, it's our responsibility uh, each and every time to stand with those people, to speak out, um, to be uh, uh, together as one. When I uh, gave uh, my part of this talk, I, I had two themes to it. Uh, one of them was based around this concept. I acknowledge that uh, I'm a person of white privilege. I didn't ever really realize that too much over many, many years because I didn't understand the, the concept. But a lot of people would say, uh, well, if you're a person of white privilege, you should feel ashamed or guilty about that or something else. I had a little different concept about that. I said, okay, let's assume that I am a person who has had white privilege and who acknowledges it and knows it. And I do expensive things like fly airplanes. But let's say that I do acknowledge that. My question to myself and everybody else that's in somewhere near my position is, okay, so what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And can you comment on that sort of an attitude about persons of white privilege as it relates to woke? Yeah, oftentimes, oftentimes when... I, as a pastor, we as a church speak out about race. Uh, for example, if we put something about white supremacy on the marquee out front, which currently there's something out there now that says it, we have a lot of people that get upset. And, and, and usually in, in conversations with those people, um, they, they see the word white supremacy and, and all they focus on is uh, whiteness and not the supremacy part. Uh, they're fragile. They show their fragility. Um, and their fragility uh, makes them unable uh, to be able to have an honest conversation and dialogue about it uh, or even accept it for themselves. Uh, they just respond with hostility and anger. Um, you think that's where the, where the hostility about the term woke is based? Is it would you concur at least with my amateur analysis that it's based in fear? That yeah, it's, it's also been um, co-opted. After, after the Republicans lost the battle over same-sex marriage, um, they, you know, that used to be an issue that could win them races, right? True. And the Supreme Court said, no, this is settled law. Yeah. So we all had to move on. Um, the Republicans started to, 
to throw anything at the wall they thought would stick. And you know, they're very disciplined and, and use all the same talking points. And uh, you know, Fox News goes right along. And so when an issue like uh, being woke seemed to be something that stuck to the walls that, that motivated people out of fear and anger, uh, they knew that, that that would translate into votes. Um, you know, my favorite allusion to, to being woke in Scripture, Jesus is with his disciples. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, Jesus is at his, his worst hour uh, before being arrested. Um, he is, is, is praying, uh, let this cup pass from me. And he asked the disciples to do one thing. You know what that was? No. He said, uh, stay awake and pray for me. Be in prayer. And multiple times Jesus comes out and the disciples are asleep. Jesus says, you can't even stay awake. Um, I, I, I picture Jesus saying that to the church, that we need to, to stay awake. We need to be woke uh, to the reality around us, to the ways that um, God's children are being harmed um, and uh, violence is being done uh, against them. And, and Jesus is saying to us, to the church, you can't even stay awake. I had a, a, another pastor friend of mine, and you know him, uh, name's Jim Bowden over in Texas, and one of his things that he used to say a lot is the job of a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And uh, to some extent, I think that kind of uh, flows into the concept of woke. If the church stays very comfortable, stays in the, in their, the, uh, the lane of acceptability, as it were, uh, I think one could argue, and you, I'd ask for your comment on this, that the church is not effective at all, that it has no purpose. Yeah, the church has got a bad track record. Christians got a bad track record, especially in this city, St. Petersburg. You think of St. Petersburg as a progressive blue dot. Um, you know, uh, just 100 years ago in the 1920s, uh, a man named John Evans was lynched in this city. Um, the newspapers, uh, you know, said that hundreds and hundreds of people were out there. Uh, the city population wasn't too much more than the number of people who were out there to celebrate this lynching. Um, at the time, you know, you got to think at least 75% of the people in St. Pete were church-going people. So that lynching happened on a Saturday. On Sunday, they were sitting in their pews. And uh, I wasn't around the 20s, but I'm willing to bet that uh, very few, if any, pastors spoke out against uh, the violence that was done. I want to circle back again to my uh, uh, original uh, portion of this, uh, of this broadcast. And I, I said there were two themes. One of them was white privilege. If you got it, what are you going to do with it? The other one was why. It was simply the word why. Because my thought is, we have spent, we, the country, the nation, probably the world, but I'm going to focus it on the United States, have spent a lot of time, uh, I call it usurping or misusing the concept of law. 
law and order, everything associated with law. Uh, we're supposed to be a nation of laws and not of men. That was a term before gender equality. We're supposed to be uh, a country that rises above uh, essentially uh, authoritarian, authoritarianism, uh, fascism, uh, dictatorships. We're supposed to be a country that uh, uh, whose population is the source of, uh, rather than the recipient of power and influence and structure and social uh, order. I think uh, one of the things that I, when I became what I now define as woke, and I started asking why, one of the things I had to face was that the law, which I've dedicated my entire life to, has been often used to preclude entire classes of people from enjoying that one wonderful thing that we would all like to do. Um, my example I used was my, my night flight you know, from Oklahoma to Texas. Whatever yours is, whatever individual person would love to do, would want to do, would seek to do, would care about doing, We've spent a lot of time, it seems, uh, figuring out ways to isolate whole classes of people from the chance to do that. What comments do you have about that, Andy? Yeah, uh, you know, it's time for us to be honest that the laws in this country were, wit were written to protect white men and the property that they owned, right? Um, and so again, I'll point back to my own city here in St. Petersburg, uh, the number of vagrancy laws that we have on the books, the vagrancy laws um, that harm those without. Um, Most of those originating in the Jim Crow era. They did. And are still there today. As an opportunity to arrest black folk and basically put them back into slavery, which our Constitution allows uh, forced labor um, to happen to the incarcerated. And... Uh, so it was a, a back-channel way for slavery to continue. And so we, we still live with that legacy of the vagrancy laws that have been deemed unconstitutional but are still on our books here in this city. Um, and the way that we treat homeless people, people without, um, without homes, um, How about which are disproportionately uh, still uh, black and brown people. People without homes, you reference because it's been a very... Uh, very much at the core of the causes and the and the efforts by, I know, under your leadership by Allendale Church, but what, though, there are also those uh, without jobs, without health insurance, without a lot of other things. And it seems as we look back at our laws in our country, comparing them, let's say, to laws in Denmark or the Netherlands or pick, pick another country somewhere in the world, uh, we have not, uh, we have elected, I'd say, not to uh, implement programs uh, designed to be inclusive, but actually implement programs specifically designed to be exclusive, even to the point that now we are uh, precluding the use of words like inclusion, uh, equality, diversity, affirmative action. We keep, uh, we keep using the law, and I, I come around to my, my why comment. 
why are all these things the case? And, and I've sadly had to recognize that uh, those who have the power make the law. And they also have the power to enforce the law. And uh, I wonder if you would elaborate on how you think that uh, relates to your ministry at, at Allendale and the members of Allendale Church, because uh, I have the concept that a lot of people who have come to Allendale are people who had previously given up on the concept of organized religion and the law, for that matter. Uh, so I'd, I wonder what your thoughts are on that, and I'd like to get that on this broadcast. Yeah, um, you know, as a pastor follows Jesus, uh, my primary job is to, to do the things that Jesus did. And uh, Jesus wasn't hesitant to name evil uh, when he saw it. And specifically, evil being done to marginalized communities, uh, to people at the margins, to people who are being oppressed. Um, and, and understood, he understood his, his kingdom, uh, his way of relating, calling us to relate to each other, that he was coming to establish, um, was very different than that of Rome. Rome's kingdom was uh, based on violence and subjugation. And Jesus's kingdom, uh, again, this radical way in which we were to relate to one another, or as Dr. King called it, beloved community, um, was basically taking the empire of Rome and flipping it on its head. Um, those who were last shall be first. Um, it's a relationship of uh, based on solidarity and on sharing things uh, uh, for each other's well-being, uh, of taking care of each other, of of listening to the unjust, uh, to the the widow that's persistent, coming to the unjust judge. Uh, it's it's a kingdom that uh, finds its home uh, in in the people that have lost everything. Uh, that's where God locates herself again and again and again in Scripture, and so. I just simply try to do the things that Jesus did to organize um, others to continue this movement um, so that more people might experience liberation and salvation. And I'm not talking about getting saved so you go to heaven. I'm talking about salvation that's based on its root word of salve, uh, where, where people receive healing from the harm that's been done. Uh, and not just spiritual healing, but physical healing, um, where they have food in their bellies, where the rough places are made plain. Um, and uh, my job is just to keep doing that and keep pointing to that and, and trusting that uh, the ark is indeed bending toward justice, and even when I can't see it. Dr. King's famous for making that statement about uh, about the arc uh, of is long, but bends toward justice, and that's his. Uh, I suppose the the uh, mantra that some people who are working for social justice today uh, need to cling to, because uh, as you said, the the bending toward justice part is 
pretty imperceptible right now <laughs> in terms of where we're going. Uh, and uh, one final, I guess, I guess I, I'd say final. You certainly can can uh, expand on any area that we've talked about or any that you want to. But I guess uh, one final area is as we see our country and as we see our 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 secular nation, the the government, the people who who are in power and who and who are, and who run the country, we see a wide wide diversity of uh, leadership, people in different positions in our country and different philosophies and, and beliefs. Uh, I note that uh, economic theory has kind of come to the uh, forefront in recent times where uh, people either say, I am a uh, capitalist or I am a socialist or I am this or that or the other. Uh, as relates to economic considerations. Uh, do you have any comments on the, uh, uh, the way forward in terms of trying to uh, uh, bring America to a point where it might actually achieve its founding uh, documents, its founding philosophies? We've never done it. We've always had them, but we've never gotten there. Uh, we've always sought to be, uh, I believe, although it wasn't gender specific, uh, all men are created equal. Wasn't true then, isn't true now. But what, uh, uh, as that relates to economic circumstances and economic philosophies and beliefs, uh, do you have any comments you would offer for our audience on that? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, this, America, an experiment is still in process, right? Yep. I'll go with that. Um, so a famous rabbi, uh, Rabbi uh, Tarfin, he used to say, it's not your duty to finish the work, but neither are you at liberty to neglect it. Fair enough. That's and uh, I think that's our role, is to not neglect uh, pushing us forward, uh, fighting for the things that matter, um, even in the face of uh, fascism and uh, the ugly ways uh, parts of our government are headed. Um, I know that in my life, uh, you know, my ministry career is, is halfway done, and I in some ways feel like we're in a worse place than when I started. Uh, I just hold on to that, uh, those words from the rabbi. You know, it's not my duty to finish the job, but neither am I at liberty to neglect it. I suppose your comment from the rabbi uh, is what we could all cling to if our idea is we need something better. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my thoughts, as you know, because you've known me for a long time, come from music, lyrics and songs, poetry. I, I, uh, I get a lot of my, whatever you'd call it, substitute for wisdom out of songs like that. And it occurs to me that many years, for many years, we've all been familiar with a, a folk song by Woody Guthrie called This Land Is Your Land, This Land Is My Land. And only in recent times has it been uh, uh, publicly touted that Woody was a communist. My, <laughs> my point being that... that uh, uh, 
whatever your economic theory is, whatever your belief system is, um, somewhere, some way, it seems that we've got to move toward inclusion and equal opportunity. And those are great words to say, but incredibly hard to achieve. Uh, and in wrapping up, uh, I'd like to hear your final comments on that. I just think we have to keep on going. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, another song lyric I was going to add yeah. to the broadcast. Yeah. There's a country song called When You're Going Through Hell, Keep On Going. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe that, maybe that would be the, the closeout theme on the, uh, uh, inst the broadcast on woke. And I hope that, uh, anybody who has chosen to listen to our, uh, kind of our, uh, initial broadcast and identifying who we are, uh, will, uh, listen again at the next opportunity when we go back on the air with our next installment, which addresses a, uh, a very serious, growing, and yet historic issue uh, around anti-Semitism. Uh, hope you'll be, your interest will be uh, piqued and you will be interested in coming back and listening to a conversation by some very knowledgeable people about that subject. And uh, with that, Andy, unless you've got something else to say, we'll close the episode. Thank you, Don. Thank you. If you'd like to contribute to No Hate Radio, you can call in and record a message on the No Hate Radio hotline, 442-4-NO-HATE. That's 442-466-4283. Or you can reach out via email at nohateradio at allendaleequityjustice.org.